What's up, everybody? This is Brendan. This is Taylor. And we are Straight Up Sabres, covering the Buffalo Sabres for the Hockey Podcast Network. That's right. You can hear us every Monday and Thursday on Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Straight Sabres or follow us on Facebook at Straight Up Sabres. We are very excited to bring you all of the latest coverage of what is surprisingly seeming to be a pretty exciting Sabres season ahead. That's right. The Rasmus Ristolainen breakout season is here. You can only hear it every Monday and Thursday, the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What is up? Welcome back to the Canes Train Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. It's me, Zach. You can follow along at Canes Train Pod on Twitter. Um, thanks so much for listening. Please, please, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, follow on Spotify, all that good stuff. And rate and review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Go find the show on there. I mean, you don't have to find it. If you're listening to it, it's in your library. Scroll down to the bottom, tap a star, write a review if you'd like to write a review. It's super helpful. Um, You know, I look at the charts, and there's people above us that shouldn't be above us, you know? And I'm pretty competitive. So help a brother out, you know? Throw a rating and a little uh, review on there if you'd like to say something, and that helps out so much. So thanks doing that thanks for listening and let's get into this show let's do it i've had my coffee you know i'm ready to roll um this week i spoke with and again you know this if you read the title good good for you being uh proactive you read the description um i spoke with sarah sivian of the athletics she is the beat reporter for the carolina hurricanes um and she's great so you'll get to hear that conversation Again, second half of this episode, if you've been following the trend here, um, that's how we've been doing these. Go check out the streaming if you haven't. Um, It's typically Thursdays, just so you know, just to get a a feel for, you know, um, when the streaming is going to happen. I've been doing it for the guest segments. I may start doing it as well for, you know, this part of the show that I usually record um, before the guest segments. Um, but you know, I'll try to also like tweet it out. And, uh, if you're, you know, someone who follows the page on Facebook and all that sort of stuff, I'll, I'll try to make it known that I'm going to be streaming so that if you want to check it out live, you can, um, the annoying thing is that for some reason, the, the Periscope link on Twitter, like sometimes works for the replay, sometimes doesn't. It's a Periscope thing. Um, on Facebook, it seems to replay easily. So go check it out there. If you haven't yet, um, you know, you could you could see the episode before it comes out on Monday if you're trying to get a head start and you get the video and you get the, it's live, you know. You can ask questions, you can interact um, that way, at least on Periscope, I know you can. So go check that out. Appreciate it if you have already. I had the biggest audience count um, during that live stream. 
that I've ever had before. So we're growing, and that's fantastic. And I appreciate you listening, if you have. Um, you know, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about with regard to the Canes, I guess, and the league a little bit. It seems like we might be getting closer here to hearing something about a a real restart. That's not just, hey, we would like to do this, but is actually a, hey, we're going to do this, and here's the plan. It sounds like they're still shooting for January 1st, which is cool. And this is kind of per, like, NHL um, Players Association talks and, and what came out of that uh, in the media. And it seems like they're still pushing for a January 1st. I, I feel like that might still get pushed back, but we'll see. Um, you never know on those. It's like a lot of negotiations, and it's sometimes they work out great. Sometimes someone raises their hand and wants to change something, and we go back and forth for a little bit. But hopefully something's coming up here. Uh, it sounds like they're going to shoot for a like 40 to 60 game season somewhere in there. Um, you know, th- so much talk. I mean, even like a month ago, the NHL, and I guess it was mostly Gary Bettman, was like, we're still shooting for an A2 game season. And all of us in the world are like, I mean, it's physically not possible. I don't know what you're... Why are you still saying this? You cannot play 82 games from January to June. Like, not even... It would be before that, January to, like, late May. Because you got to finish before the Olympics for NBC. Uh, for the TV stuff. Like, you just... How do you do that? How do you put 82 games in a half a season? You can't. You know, even you're going to be playing a compressed schedule to play 55 games. You know? Um, but... I, we've had seasons like this before, you know, I think it was 2012 with the lockout, um, which by the way, do you say 2012 after the decade mark or do you say 2012? Like at this point, I feel like it's definitely 2020. If you're saying 2020, it's a little weird, but you know, when you, you listen to like old people, like old, old people, probably people that aren't even around anymore. And you just think about when they talk about history and they're like, the year was 1922. And it's like, you mean 1922? You freaking 90-year-old? Uh, that's us now. Or at least those of us that were born, you know, just pre-millennium and grew up. Like to me, it was always like, it's the year 2000. And now it's the year 2001. And two- so you say 2000, whatever, up until... And then twenty t- people start saying 2010. And I remember feeling like, 2010, what a weird... But then you just get used to it. Now it's definitely 2020, right? Um, that's an easy one to do. Um, but I was listening to some election coverage while it was going on. And I'm getting off topic already, but we'll get, it's okay. We'll get right back into it. I just had to mention this. Some guy said, uh, what did he say? 2004 or something. Instead of uh, 2004. Uh, something like that. No, no, no. You know what it was? This is even worse. Because 2004 is like, ah. But he said... 2008. Is this a fucking James Bond movie? 2008? That's not acceptable. 2008. It's like if your phone number is 555 2161 and you're like, my number is 555,261 91. You'd be like, whoa, whoa. Huh? That's not how you give out a phone number. This is the equivalent of that for dates. 2008. It's definitely 2008, okay? Or 2008, I guess. That even sounds weird, but 2008 is, I'm 100% positive that that is not acceptable. So whoever that guy was, 
Get your shit together, man. 2008. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, anyway, back to the NHL restart. I'm hoping we hear something about the preseason setup. You know, it's got to happen in December, uh, which is, you know, we're not far from it. So hopefully we'll start hearing some things. Um, how exactly that works, you know, you've heard some talk about, like, hub cities and and whatnot. Um, I don't I don't see them doing that. It just is a lot of cost. And when already you're going to have, if you do have fans in January, I already can tell you, you know, some places will probably not have any. Some will probably have an extremely limited amount. It's just going to be based on what the states, you know, that you're playing in allow. And then the league will probably have purview over that as well. But um, that's not making a ton of money. <laughs> you know, so the taking on the additional cost of setting up hub cities, like, yeah, look, I know that's the safest way to do it. Um, but it just doesn't logistically work out. Like, if that's how you have to do it, if that's the only safe way you can figure out to do it, then, like, you probably just shouldn't do it. But it seems like they're on their way to, to um, doing this. And important to note that this is, you know, all under the player's consent. Um, it's being negotiated with the Players Association. So um, it's not like they're just throwing players out there. Like, these players are agreeing to these terms, at least the majority of them. So there it is. Hopefully we hear something. Don't know what else really to say on that part. Um, the other interesting part that's been thrown around is some realignment, which is 100% going to have to happen. Because the border thing is not, you know, you can't go to Canada. You can't come to U.S. if you're if you're in Canada. Um, so those teams can't play each other, at least right now. So until that changes, which, I mean, I don't know that that changes until, like, spring, obviously. I mean, honestly, not obvious. It's not obvious. Nothing about this is obvious. But, um, you know, that's a, tricky, that's a tricky aspect. So if you're looking at the Hurricanes' perspective, I would imagine their division looks something like uh, the Florida teams, maybe like a, if you're not concerned about time zones, you know, you've seen models where you put them with like Tennessee or Tennessee, Nashville and and teams around there. Um, maybe Washington, maybe. I don't know if Washington gets slipped into the Northeastern team divisions, um, which will become like Boston, New York Rangers, New York Islanders, Philly, um, uh, that'll be an interesting one. You got to take out the Montreal and Toronto's of the Atlantic and the Florida teams from the Atlantic, and you basically mesh the Metro and the Atlantic with the U.S. teams that are left over. And then I feel like the it's basically the Southeast Division again, if you will, without Atlanta, R.I.P. Atlanta. Um, but yeah, you're you're basically taking the leftovers of that aren't in the Northeast Division and putting them down there in the Southeast, which means you're encompassing probably a couple of Central teams as well. Which will be weird um, because of the time zone differences and all that. But I would imagine they'll find a way to redu- heavily reduce travel with the schedule. That's going to be a tricky part of it. But hey, that's what you got to do in this situation. So that's what they'll do. And um, it'll be interesting for sure. The Canadian division will be interesting for Canadian fans uh, because, you know, a lot of, lot of rivalries that maybe don't get as much attention as they have in the past, uh, a lot of teams that will get chances to play each other. And hey, I mean, if we even get to a situation where, um, you know, that's a divisional playoff series, like if that's how they do it for the playoffs in division, like they have, um, then you know you're gonna get you're gonna get some matchups that uh, you wouldn't get before. You'll get some cross conference uh, matchups and all that sort of stuff. You know, you could get like a Toronto Montreal, which I'm sure would be super interesting for them. I don't really care all that much. Uh, I think that that division would be pretty mediocre, to be honest with you. 
Uh, I think Toronto's maybe the best. I mean, I would say Toronto's the best team. And then you've got a mid-tier of, like, okay teams in, like, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, um, Winnipeg when they're healthy. Um, and then you've got Ottawa. I guess Montreal goes into the, the mid-tier. Uh, and honestly, Toronto's teetering on the edge of a good team and a mid-tier team. It really depends on, on what comes of their kind of roster shakeup, if you will. Um, you know, I don't think they'll get worse, but I don't know that they got better. Anyway, that is, I'm done talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs on this episode, but that'll be interesting. So all we can do on that is keep waiting for news. You know, there's not really a whole lot to talk about in that regard. Um, the other thing that's come out is all these reverse retro jerseys. And if you've seen the Hurricanes one that, that they um, have released some some images of, is, of course, a Whalers throwback, um, which, you know, it looks fine. Uh, I'm going to be real honest with you, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me. Not a huge fan of the Whalers stuff. It, it Like, it's fine. I'm not offended by it. I'm not one of those people, for sure, that's like, oh, it's, you know, that's not the same. T-. Like, I don't care, dude. Well, cool. Honor the, it's your same franchise, you know? It is a throwback. It's the same team, technically. We just moved and rebranded and are doing a little better now than the Whalers were. Um... Look, dude, the honest fact of it is the Whalers were bad, <laughs> okay? And uh, I'm fine just moving on. I, like, I don't really I don't really care to be ultra-associated with the, the Whalers team because, like, this, I don't know. I'm probably offending some people right now, but that's okay. You know, it's all right to be offended, I guess. But if you're offended, also I'll say this, if you're offended about your team being called not great, just get over it. They're not even a team anymore. Like, just... Just move on. But yeah, like, I mean, I don't I don't really care too much to be associated with the Whalers. Like, it just doesn't do anything for me, you know? If you're a person that followed the, the Whalers from Hartford to Carolina, then I'm sure that's that's great. Or if you're one of those, you know, super salty Connecticutites, however you say people that are from Connecticut, um, then you might be, like, really upset, like, at the fact they're doing this. I don't really care. All I'm saying is that I don't think the Whalers, you know, color scheme, uniforms... I think that they're, like, gross. <laughs> like, I think that this is just the thing. This is the thing that annoys me a lot about just people and when they group up on things is I don't think if those jerseys came out today, like those green ones that the Hurricanes wore for the throwbacks, people like those because of the, the I don't even know how to describe it, but they like it because it's retro. They like it because it's a throwback, because it's a it's an homage to the the past, right? And it's bringing back this thing. That's why they like it. It's like when people wear, you know, 80s clothes. You, we don't think that shit looks good, okay? We, we just, we're trying to be like hip about it, you know? It's just, that is annoying to me. I don't like that at all. It either looks good or it doesn't. Like green and blue, like that color green and, and blue and what, like it's just, I don't know, it's just not appealing to me. And I have a feeling that if that jersey came out today, and it what and the whalers had never existed and they were just like this is our new jersey people would be like ugh what are you doing all these retro jerseys like pretending that those fucking canucks jerseys that are like black and yellow and orange and red look good get your fucking life man those things are ugly very very ugly i don't understand you, the only reason you think that they're cool is because they're bringing back a thing that was and you're like oh it's a it's a throwback like it's nostalgia it's what that's why you think it looks good. You don't think that shit looks good. No one does. It looks like fucking... It looks like a burnt casserole. 
swirled into a fucking uniform. It's gross. Anyway, that's my thought on the re- reverse retros. And uh, 80% of you will disagree with me. And you're wrong, and it's okay. It's okay that we disagree, but you're wrong, and I'm right. Um, let's, uh, let's just do this real quick before we get into the guest segment. And uh, here we go. Uh, um, e- Yikes. This is off the rails. Yeah. All right, off the rails this week. Um, dude, you know, I look at my notes for these. This is how I do this, by the way. I just see things in life, and I go, that would be... Literally, I'll be having a conversation with a friend, and we'll be talking about something. I'm like, that's good. That's a good bit. And I'll just write it down. Um, and I just go through them. And it appears to me that 90% of the things I write down are about two things. Grocery stores and phones. Like, you heard the voicemail thing. I've definitely talked about a lot of stuff with phone. Just phone etiquette to me. It's like people, it's just interesting, you know? But one thing I thought about recently, because it's happened to me in the past, is um, when you get a call from someone, I mean, you know that spam calls exist. And they they do this thing now where the number that's calling you, like, isn't really a number. It's like a computer generate. Like, there are, you know, programs that can make an internet-based call and show it as a phone number that may or may not exist or belongs to someone already that isn't this person. And so you get spam calls. And if you're a, you can imagine the type of person that answers all of those calls, you know, they're probably an older person um, that lives in the middle of the country. (laughs) I don't know. But like, I don't answer a number usually, unless I'm expecting a call. I don't answer the number if I don't recognize it, like if it's not in my contacts, because it's it's 90% chance that I'll answer it and it'll go, Hello, we've been trying to... Nope, nope, click. So I don't answer those. But there's a lot of people that do answer all of those. Imagine how frustrating that is, by the way. And an even more interesting thing than the people that answer those are the people that are like, I have to call this person back because I missed a call. And so they'll get like a spam call. Like, this has happened to me before. Someone will call me and I'll go, hello? And they'll go, yeah, I just got a missed call from you. And I'll be like, nope. And they'll be like, yeah, you just called like five seconds ago. And I'll be like, I certainly did not. And they'll be like, uh, and they'll like read off my phone number. And I'll be like, that's me. However, didn't call you. And they're like, I have a missed call from you. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, man. I did not call you. So I'm going to hang up now. Have a good one. And I just hang up. And then the person, this is a true story, by the way. The person called back and they were like, and they, I answered it, and I go, hey, still me, still not the person who called you. And they're like, read off my number again. And I'm like, that's my number, and every time you dial it, you're going to get me. But this is me telling you that I have never, nor will I ever have been the person that called you originally, okay? It wasn't me. I don't know what else you want from me. I don't, it would be, I didn't pocket dial your random number <laughs> and leave you a voicemail. Like, that was not me, okay? So stop calling me. And then, and then I blocked him because he tried to call again and I blocked him. That's so interesting to be like, this must be, it's gotta be, it's not you. It wasn't you. It says it's you. It's like, dude, what, what else do you want from me other than saying, what if it was me? Okay. What, what else do you want to know? What if it was me who called? And this is, this is the follow up is me being like, didn't call you. Didn't try to call you. Are you that, 
What are you gonna? You think you're gonna force it out of me? You think I'm like a? Uh, you found like a government conspiracy where I'm like, shit, he found, he got the number. I meant to block it. What do you think? What kind of secret information you think you're gonna get from me? You know, like what? Where is this conversation leading? Anyway, that's a thing. The other completely unrelated thing that I wrote down was about a grocery store. And uh, do you ever? Maybe someone relates with me on this. I do not like. I'm a big fan of self checkout at the grocery store, okay? And I know that that's like, yeah, it's taking away jobs, but like really it doesn't have to because it could just make the lines less and someone has to still work it, obviously, because one out of every three times you use those damn things, somebody's got to come over. You're like, this isn't working. They're like, hang on, I'll be with you in 45 minutes. It's cool. Um, but I like the self-checkout at, specifically at grocery stores for this reason. Dude, the food I buy is between me and the food, Okay. I don't want you involved in the decisions or the, you know, the judgment. I don't want to feel judged. Sometimes I go to the grocery store at 9.46 p.m. when they close at 10, and I buy a big tub of the Nestle Toll House cookies, okay? And I don't give a shit, and I'll do it twice a week if I want to. What I don't like is when I go to check out, and they're like, having some dessert tonight, last minute dessert, huh? That shit's not funny to me, okay? I don't like that at all. I go, huh, yeah. And in my mind, I go, it's none of your fucking business, cashier. This is between me and the cookies. But out. I don't like that at all. I, I, and like, people think I'm weird about that. I don't like fucking feeling judgment on the shit I buy. So you know what I do? I'll go buy the cookies, and then I'll just buy, you know, I'm buying. I'm also buying... You know, disposable floss pick things. I'm buying some fucking double A batteries that I don't need. And I'll buy a fucking aluminum foil, you know? So then what are you going to be like? Oh, looks like you're eating cookies and then flossing afterwards and making sure that you cover the pan with the foil and charging up your fucking remote control tonight, huh? Like, yeah. What are you going to say now, cashier, judgmental cashier? <sighs> this is why I like self-checkout. I'm just saying. But if you're a cashier on, um, you know, if you're a cashier at a grocery store and someone comes up with, you know, two tubs of Ben and Jerry's, you know what you do? You scan the fucking ice cream, you take the money, and you go, have a good one. Here's your receipt. And you don't say shit, all right? I don't care what your opinions are on the things I'm picking out. It really bothers me, and I hate it. But also, you know what? I don't even, I'll own that shit, dude. They'd be like, wow. And I'd be like, yeah, that's right, wow. That's fucking right. This is what I'm buying. Deal with it. You wish you were me, don't you? That's right. Look at what I'm going home. Making some fucking cookies. I got floss things. Don't fucking judge me. I'm taking care of my teeth, bro. Anyway. I've ruined this part of the show. And so what we're going to do now is just transition neatly into the guest segment with Sarah Sivian from The Athletic. Thanks to Sarah for doing this. Check out her her podcast, Too Many Men. Um, Check out on Twitter at Sarah Sivian and check out uh, subscribe to The Athletic and check out all of her articles on there so uh, thanks enjoy the hopefully more organized part of the episode bye what's up everyone Kane's Train Podcast back at it I am here today with Sarah Sivian from The Athletic Sarah how you doing hi I'm good I'm ready to run through a wall after that that was pretty <laughs> yeah it's pretty intense right <laughs> Yeah. Good production value. I definitely do not do the productions. Uh, if anyone, you know, anyone who's listened to the show definitely knows that. That is not my, I'm not that organized <laughs> to be able to pull that off. Um, 
But thanks for joining us. If you don't know Sarah, I don't know, you know, again, just like last week I said with Adam Gold, like if you don't know who these people are, but you found me somehow, I don't quite know <laughs> how you made that happen, but uh, she's great. Follow her at Sarah Siv, Sarah Sivian on Twitter, right? You got it. Okay, yes. Cool. Yes. Um, and check out, you know, her athletic coverage, the beat reporter for the Carolina Hurricanes, um, which I'm sure you're a fan of if you're listening to the show. So, um, you know, Sarah, the first thing I kind of wanted to get into that, you know, I don't, I've never really heard too much of, so it interests me, is maybe how you kind of got where you are. Like, how do you go from a, a you know, a Boston girl to coming to Raleigh, North Carolina to work for the Athletic and covered the Carolina Hurricanes? How did how how does that all unfold? I guess it depends who you ask. Well, I went to Penn State and loved the hockey team, and like they went from club to D one while I was there. So I was so interested in kind of, and I was a history major. I just kind of like loved to write and read and stuff like that my whole life. So my interest in how the hockey team kind of became what it was and also my love of writing just kind of collided. And I knew people from like Penn State Twitter back in the day. I loved Twitter always. That was probably like how everything comes together. But I, some of my friends from that like worked for a blog and they said, why don't you come try out for the blog or whatever. And I did. And then I got to cover the hockey games and loved it. Kind of grew a little bit of a Twitter following in college. And then I took a job covering the pens for a few months, but it, that did not work out. You can read about that on Deadspin if you want. <laughs> but, um, so I went home, started freelancing like two a days, college hockey, Bruins, whatever. Uh, got hired by WEI, which not the best anymore, but um, I minded my own business, barely went on the radio and just wrote columns about the Bruins and I there loved it. Yes. And then I started actually building a following. And then when this position opened in the, um, not the Canes, the athletic was expanding to every single market. I got a call that was just kind of like, you were recommended a lot in as a young person that has potential that could be in a new fresh market. And I actually had a, phone conversation with the PR Mike sometime of the Canes and he just kind of knew that something was going to be special when Rod Brindamore was hired and just kind of, he knew the team was trending in a special direction, even if it was funny because at the time there was so much kind of negative, understandable negativity with the fan base because it's nine years. (laughs) And then you saw what happened and it's just like, I just, he was so sincere. I believed him and not that you have to be somewhere exciting to be covering a team. It was also, I wanted to just go out on my own and do what I thought I was doing in Pittsburgh. And this was just the perfect lane. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, what a time to, to join the team, right? When you did, you, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you got them right on the upswing. It's like yeah. somebody at their peak. <laughs> but yes. um, yeah, I mean, I don't even, this is hundred percent honest opinion of mine. I mean, I, I really think that um, with the, I'll call it a resurgence, if you will. I mean, I've been a fan of the team since I was, you know, seven. So since even before they went to the cup the first time in the early 2000s, um, there have been fans. Like Raleigh has always had a, a passionate group of fans. And especially when you talk, I mean, it after 06, I mean, everybody mm-hmm. in that city knew that team. So the kind of mantra of, well, these, there's no fans, like that was never true at all. Um, there's always been fans. Yep. And, but I mean, just like anything if it's not good you don't want to pay to go see it yeah you don't hear anybody saying that about buffalo and the ticket sales were the same exactly exactly so we always knew there were fans there was just what it was going to take for this team to get them back on their side after just years of 
it, it wasn't just being bad because I think everyone understands being bad. You know, it's going to happen. You can't right. be, I mean, I don't know. I guess in Boston, they don't really understand it. It doesn't happen. Oh, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do, but it's been a while. Like there's people my age that are like, what is that? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Rebuilding. What is that? Yeah. But I'm so just... <laughs> I think people get that, you know, that message and that that has to happen. But when you don't necessarily, you know, spend the money or go get the pieces or you're kind of always saying, well, we'll just keep, bringing up guys from within the organization and it will just fix itself. Like it's just hard to get people on board with that. So right. you look at the new ownership. I think Tom Dundon was a huge part of, you know, just a change like that was needed and, and really started to just push things like, what can we do to make this better than it is? Um, and I think that, you know, all that stuff, team being successful, Rod Burnham becoming head coach. Um, but really like, I don't mean this in any small part. I really do think that you taking over a big role of covering the team, like helped because of just, you know, new personality you know new like it, you you kind of fit the the whole resurgence of of what we were looking for like to get back to and, and it made it fun i guess you know like it was always a a fun thing to follow along on twitter and and you know like have great coverage but also like be able to joke around and be because i feel like that's who the hurricanes are like you know as a as a franchise like that's who they are so um oh thanks you know. so much i will yeah. not take credit for that but it, <laughs> everybody made it easy here and um yeah. definitely like the team was so much fun it was just kind of fit what i try to do so that just really worked out yeah that's always great when you can you know just be yourself and it's like cool get paid mm -hmm. to do that. <laughs> yeah yeah that was probably the best year of my life yeah um what um after the move here and everything, what was, was there a moment where you were just like, Oh, this is real deal. Like working for a, you know, major publisher covering a NHL team. I mean, I know you've covered NHL teams before, but like on this, on this scale of being that beat reporter, that's around the team as much as you are. Like, was there a moment where you're just like, Whoa, this is, this is really cool. Um, or like, was there a time when you got familiar enough with the team where it was just kind of, it became like a, a cool, a cool thing and not just kind of a, a dream that all of a sudden became reality. Good question. Um, it's still, I mean, it's always going to be a dream if you're getting to do all this and it's like a big, it's a secret that you don't want anybody to find out that like this, you're just running around the country um, following a hockey team for your life. But yeah. I think it became, I think it became real and in a way kind of more surreal when I noticed like certain articles, like a player or coach would say something to me about them. It's like, Oh, I'm actually like in, Boston, I was kind of, I could have more anonymous, I could be more anonymous. I will never say that word right, but I don't, I don't even know. Here, here, it was actually like, okay, these people care what I have to say and it's prominent. So I better not mess up or at least be, I better be fair, which is a important lesson for every journalist. Yeah, definitely. Take note. Other Especially when you come to Bo from Boston and everyone's just spewing hot takes constantly. It's like, all right, can't do that anymore. Not that I really is, did, but. It is the city of hot takes. That is for sure. Um, yeah, Boston media is, it's, uh, I mean, we won't go down that. <laughs> we won't go down that yeah. path. But they're, it's like its own genre entirely of media groups. Bizarro <laughs> world. Yeah. Um, I think that part of your kind of ability to develop a good following and kind of a, even a cult following at times, if you will, in the Hurricanes organization or just around the league is, is your Twitter personality is, is Twitter something you do you enjoy that? Or is it just something that you're like, ah, it's fun sometimes and it's too crazy sometimes, but it like is what gets you. Cause I mean, I understand like you, you have to do it 
because you have to like that's how you social media is a great way to grow a brand um but like is it something you at least at first maybe until things got a little more crazy uh like really like was that part of you know what you like doing i feel like my relationship with twitter went like all the way up all the way down all the way now somewhere kind of in kind of up and it was all about just kind of not caring what people who don't know me say about me and that they it's like a reflection of them not me in the beginning obviously i think i got most of my jobs from my twitter and then as you grow i went from having i think it was the most growth in athletic history on a social media platform when i got hired because the canes every everybody wanted to know what was happening with the canes there are not a lot of journalists but um right. it went from like six thousand to 40,000 in that first few months and knowing, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It was hard to like mitigate knowing what you can and can't really say anymore. Like there's definitely more things I could get away with in the beginning. And then the amount of eyes on you and people just jumping to, it was really hard to deal with people jumping to like, you could say the sky is blue and someone's like, F you. Yeah. How dare you? You're like, yeah, just the personal attack. I can take, chirping back and forth but like per- i t- had struggled with personal attacks and then like getting stalked so after that yeah i literally went to therapy and then really worked on not losing kind of the essence of who i am on twitter because i feel like that it's fun and i love like my favorite part of the job is interacting with people that i actually enjoy interacting with that's nice. what i came here to do and i never want to let people that suck ruin that. But I had to work on that a lot, just kind of not letting it affect me. And I think I'm at a part where I'm actually like, it, it doesn't bother, I laugh at it. And just because right. I've kind of done the work and seeing that these people want a reaction out of you. And you, you'll get told that all the time when you're in social media and it's still like, you just have to let that click for yourself. But at the same time, during the election and COVID and everything, it's definitely been worse. And I'm trying to be I try to stay off it, but I have not really been succeeding. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. Yeah. We're I mean, human. It's hard. It's hard to not do it. I feel the mm-hmm. same way because yeah, it gets crazy on there. It's like a dystopian society almost. And I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma, but it kind of, yeah, it shows you the things that are going to make you mad. So then you react and that's just, it's okay to forgive yourself and think, all right, that's, they're trying to trigger me and I'm triggered, but also Isn't at a certain a point. Super, uh, like moral thing that's, yeah. like, you know, to do. To <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Um, make people's lives as poor as possible so that cool. they can give us money. Like crazy. Class act. <laughs> yeah. Good old internet. If you could have told us what would become of it in, you know, 20, 30 years. Don't know if this is where people thought we would have been, but um, to each their own, I guess. Yeah, I feel the same way about Twitter. Um, like, it's fun. You just have to deal with so many just, I don't, you know, for better, lack right. of a better word, just losers. Like, what, right. like people exactly. that are clearly not happy and just mm-hmm. want to project that onto every other person they can come in contact with. Like That's all it is. Because then you think to yourself, would I ever say anything like this to somebody of course, absolutely not. not. So, and I'm pretty happy. And sometimes, even on my worst day, I would not intentionally like go after somebody that I don't really know. I would just uh, keep strolling, keep scrolling. So, yeah. I'm lucky to have better coping mechanisms than some people, and that's just what so. I think. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I'm an, an extremely opinionated person. Okay, <laughs> so when I go onto a site where people are spitting out opinions all day, 
I disagree with a lot of people, like probably most people, not even because they're wrong, just because I am who I am. So like, but never, never once have I ever had the desire to see someone's thing and just be like, let me just destroy this person real quick. Right. Unless it's, unless it's like in jest or like poking fun at it, but never like. Exactly. It's just like, you're kind of a psychopath. I mean, I'll take the kind of way. You're definitely a psychopath. (laughs) If that's, if that's the kind of thing you're doing. Right. And it's okay to disagree. It's good to, and fun to disagree with people about sports, but then there's always somebody that has to come ruin it. And it's like, all right, then I'd rather not get into these discussions exactly, at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got to tell you one of the, one of the funniest things that's happened to me while podcasting is I was a guest on, um, someone else on the network did like a, an analytics show. And I was a guest somewhere talking about the hurricanes. Of course, we're talking about some Corsi and stuff. So, you know, he had to invite me on to, why are the hurricanes, why do they get 50 shots on goal and not score? Because it is the way it is. Um, but one of his questions to me, he just said it like this too. He was like, what's the, uh, what's with uh, the beef with you and Sarah Sivian? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I like saw a thing back in the day where she kind of like tweeted something about you. And I was like, uh, and I like went back and found it and I was like, Oh, I don't even know if you remember this. It was a long time ago. Oh God. What it was, was it? It was in 2018, 19. Okay. The, I don't know if you remember that. It was an afternoon game against Toronto in Toronto, where it was like that crazy pond hockey game where Mitch Marner had, or Matt, Austin Matthews had that like behind the back 360 spin pass to, to Marner and oh, it was yeah. like eight, seven game. And it was like three goals, three goals back and forth. So before that game, I was getting ready to watch the game and I don't know what made me think of it. But it was kind of in that period where like William Nylander had like kind of limped his way along the beginning of the season. And I was just thinking back to last, you know, the season before that, when all we're talking about is uh, William Nylander and like, who's going to sign him and like, which team should trade for him because he's this like generational type talent. And then I'm like, I mean, he's good, but like, I think it was maybe a little hyped up. And I thought back to when, when someone, and I don't remember whether it was on the athletic comments or on Twitter or whatever, some world of the internet where someone suggested, mm-hmm. why haven't we heard anything the Hurricanes offering Jacob Slavin? Jacob Slavin. William Nylander. And you were like, because Jacob Slavin's better than William Nylander. And How everyone <laughs> lost their mind. Okay, yeah. so I, I feeling a little inspired by the fact that I just like to get under Toronto people's skin as well. Uh, it's just a fun thing to do. Is that I, I just tweeted like, hey, remember when everyone said that, uh, remember when Sarah Sivian said that Jacob Slavin was better than William Nylander and you and half of Canada lost their mind or something like that? And then I think you retweeted it. And the amount, <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt like what it was to step into like 10% of your shoes. For like <laughs> because the amount of this dudes from Canada, I got a lot of the like, hey, bro, Toronto isn't all of Canada, you know? And I'm like, yeah, obviously I know that. Oh, you know, I remember that. that. Pretty clear, yeah. But so you jokingly, uh, like, quote tweeted something and was like, "Go to hell!" So at the time, the show was called Siren Sounder Podcast, and that's what it was. That's the tweet that he like saw and was like, "Oh, Sarah Sammy must hate this guy or something." And I was like, "No, you, you'd have to be like involved in the situation to even get that." Like, that we're, we're poking fun at the the outrage that is like and Canadian hockey Twitter. Because that's what a funny. Thing to get upset over. <laughs> It's funny because two things. First of all, people who always say Canadians are polite have definitely never been in my Twitter mention. Right. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's true. No, for the most part, walking around Canada is true, but they like their hockey. They're passionate about their hockey. But second, that speaks to kind of like the community that is Kane's Twitter. We have so many inside jokes. One time I got yeah. in trouble at work for tweeting like, I'm a Kaniac and it's bow time because we <laughs> had not we, the, the, um, 
Canes had just been absolutely brutal on the power play for a stretch of time. And I tweeted that and I got like my editor at the time was like, Hey, you can't really affiliate with a team. I'm like, it's just an inside joke. I'm not trying yeah. to do that. That's what they say when they, and he was like, Oh, it's just like, there's so many inside jokes with the Canes community. Sir, do they have Bojangles where you come from? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe then they'll understand. Yeah. It's just crazy. Um, you mentioned like Canadian people and how nice they are. The weirdest thing ever is you know all the craziness with the Montreal, you know, community and the Hurricanes community during the off- offer sheet. I do. Everything. Yes. <laughs> so they think I'm some sort of villain for reporting the news accurately. Well, they also, I'm like he's going to sign the offer sheet, and then everybody was like, "This girl is the devil." <laughs> there's also a subset of the Montreal fan base on Twitter that is like obsessed with the Hurricanes and finding anything they can to like make it a thing. But so I, I went. I went to Montreal. Um, it was actually, this is how how much of a hockey fan I am, that for my bachelor party in March before I got married this past summer, uh, we went to, did you go to the beach? Did you go to like the mountains? No, we went to Montreal, Quebec, Canada in February. When it was That's like a good wife. 14 degrees outside. Yeah, me, me and my friends went to catch that Montreal, uh, Carolina game uh, right before the whole league shut down, which was good. But I thought we're going to wear Hurricanes jerseys around that city. And people are just going to fight to <laughs> And the nicest people in the world. I can't tell you how many people were just like, oh, that's awesome. Actually, they were really enthusiastic about the fact that we had just beat uh, Toronto in Toronto with Dave Bayard <laughs> and that. We got a lot of, you know, half broken French accent English about how the Zamboni driver beat Toronto and <laughs> plotting us for that. But people were just so nice. I mean, several people were even like, you guys will win tonight. Like, and it's fine. And I was like, you're not even going to like attempt to talk crap back and forth. Like they were, I was like, why in person? You guys are so nice. And then you go on the internet and like, you're lunatics. <laughs> it's just well, like, do you, want my, different. do you want my whole thesis? Because no, that literally, it just, that's such an important thing to remember too, that like people on the internet aren't representative of everybody on earth. Like most normal people aren't on Twitter. I say that as somebody on Twitter all the time, <laughs> on Twitter all the time. And that's, people are on Twitter looking for a reason to be mad at you when normal people from Montreal are just here for a good time. Right. Yeah. And it is a good time. It's too much fun to have in that city to be like upset about I things. Know. <laughs> exactly. That was my point the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It is definitely, you hear it said all the time how like something like 90% of the content on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that comes from like 5% of actual mm-hmm. users and like doesn't ever seem like it, but then you get out in real world and you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't what people are like at all. Like if it's you were so an important. alien, if you were an alien and you came down and you were like, let me observe human civilization and figure out what it's like. And that your overlord was like, Twitter. Twitter is where you learn. You would think you would, you would go back and be like, I don't, I don't want any part of it. They're insane. <laughs> like, absolutely. No yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, we spent like 20 minutes now talking about Twitter. I can't believe <laughs> we just did that. But um, let's talk about, let's talk about the hurricanes for at least a, a portion of this show. Um, I talked with Adam Gold about this a little bit last week, but I'm curious your thoughts on the two um, RFA signings that hurricanes just, just uh, did with Hayden Flurry two years, 1.3 mil, and Warren Fogle, one year at, I believe it's 2.15 mil. Um, are those good deals? Do you like those players? What do you What do you think about those? Yeah, um, I wrote about it a little before it happened. I was in the ballpark, and I think I said if – I think they both were kind of in the ballpark of – actually, I think Flurry's is 
what did I say? Let me think about this for a second. Yes, I said Fleury's was a steal and Fogel's is just about what I expected, which it's a little bit high, I think, but it's one year. So I'm like, I like the term in that. And I feel like he, this is the verge of, is he going to be a breakout performer in middle of the lineup projecting? Am I okay? Like I can't, projecting in the middle of the lineup or not. <laughs> I think the one year is pretty much what they're going for there. And then I think Fleury was outstanding during the playoffs. And I feel like it might be a little bit of recency bias to say he deserves that contract, but I, that's why I think it ends up being a steal for the Canes because he's peaking now he's getting better. And now next year, he's going to have a really strong season. I think like that's how it's projecting. So I approve of that, especially knowing that um, the Edmonton's gone. Van Riemsdyk is gone. Flurry can finally like move into himself now that Ben Reemsick is gone and um Vodden is not gonna be re-signed. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that uh Flurry will have like bragging rights over TVR for the fact that he ended up getting more money as an artist? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about <laughs> that. Okay? I chatted I with that about that. <laughs> uh I chatted with who was it? Corey Lavalette with North State Journal about that. He oh, was like, it almost seems like he is. He's so nice. Um he was like, it almost seems like right now it's almost better for some players to be RFAs than yeah. unrestricted free agents um, because they're getting better deals. Well, it's also like, you know, when you're a younger guy, which, yeah, exactly. I mean, TVR one year, 800,000. Like, I was just like, I mean, he's changed a lot. Like, that injury was definitely tough for him, but like the player we've seen him be, I feel like Washington got a really good deal on that one. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I thought that, you know, Fleur, it is, it, it is recency bias. Like I've noticed it myself just being like Flurry seems like he's going to turn into a really solid player. And then you think like, well, you probably want to show it for more than like a stretch of a season, you know, like a full yeah. year. And then I feel like I'm really confident with that. But I, I feel like he he was, you know, pitching to get uh, money based off potential and Warren Fogle the same extent, but he's been in the league. You know, he's had a little bit more of a role in the league um, and has some some more numbers to back it up. I also always pointed to uh, the Brock McGinn contract. That's probably something that Fogel's camp would, would, you know, use point exactly. out as a comparable. They can compare themselves. Um, I think it's a little high from what I would have wanted, but a, a one year deal, like there's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Like there's no problem with it at all. He's a, you don't, it's not like he's going to be how much you could be a replacement level player in the league and in and out of a lineup. And like 2 million is like an overpayment, but it's, you won't be talking about it as like, wow, I can't believe they did that. And um, from what I've talked about with Don Model, it's that they've really been looking for a term. Like that's the most important yeah. thing, especially because they can then say, hi, we're paying Aho and Hamilton this much and Aho, Svechnikov and Hamilton this much. So right. will you take a, this much to be on this team still, et cetera, et cetera. Like it'll be easier to do that. So yeah. I think they won with a term there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have to mention this because it made me laugh so hard when I read your, your <laughs> Q&A with Trip Tracy. Oh, God. His, what a legend. His, his question about may, uh, compare Andre Sveshnikov, Sebastian Ajo, and Tebo Teravina to Taco Bell. <laughs> it was he didn't so even weird. hesitate. He did not even hesitate. And he, he like, man, it's just like he has a gift to just oh, say God. things like that. And just make it sound, you know, he's just such an entertaining personality. He really is. He has no off button. I think I've talked to him multiple times a day, every week since this lockdown started. I'm like, I don't even know how you do this. I can't even reach out to my mom. Like, (laughs) God bless Trip Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. He's someone I reached out to, hopeful to get him on the show here in the next few weeks. We've kind of had brief conversations and I'm I'm so excited because he's just like the greatest personality, I think. 
Um, another, another. I feel like the only other thing to talk about in this kind of weird no man's land of the offseason right now <laughs> is the team. Do you think it seems to me like you know free agent wise they signed Jesper Foss? I feel like he's a good fit for the team. The money makes a ton of sense. The term makes sense. Um, you know they've got pieces that I you know they to build around. It's, we're not a rebuilding team anymore. We've got this super talented first line. We've got guys like Marty Natchez that I think will take a step. Andre Svechnikov mm-hmm. like. Who knows where the ceiling if, if there's no ceiling for this guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, they'll keep getting better and better. You've got, I feel like, a really good decor now, especially with Pesci coming back. Like, people yep. underrate how much of, that's going to be, like, adding an all-star caliber player back to The contract, life. too. His contract is just unreal. When people talk about trading Brett Pesci, I'm like, okay, well, one, he's so good. Like, you're undervaluing how good he is. He's a second-pairing defenseman on this team um, because he just fits that spot well. <laughs> And they have Slavin. But if you don't have Jacob Slavin, I mean, Brett Pesci is, can be a top pairing defenseman on tons of teams in this league. Like, he is he is really, really, really good. And then you talk about his contract, and it's like, if you trade that contract, what possible value can you get back that's better than that? You'd have to trade his contract for a player that's way better than him, you know? Right. Because and- it's just like... Nobody wants to hear this right now, but this isn't really the time to take risks. It- right financially or just in your team stability in general. And yeah. Brendan Morton would have been saying they kind of want the same core back and they have to think of, it's not fun, but they have to think about Smetchikov and Hamilton coming up. And right. this is a good team that they have here. So, yeah. So I guess my question would be, do, do you add via, do, do you look at adding via trade or something like that? If you think yeah. there are holes or do you say, Maybe the answer, maybe really we're 10 years fast forwarded now, and the answer really is on the roster. And, you know, the guys like Dezingle figure it out and play a better role in this team. And Nita Ryder, you know, doesn't have two bad years in a row because it's just not something he's done before. Um, and, you know, Natchez continues to develop, and your young def- Flurry continues to develop. Like, you know, is that the answer? Is the, is the young talent developing what fills in the holes? And are you okay with that going forward as a team that's trying to be a contender? Or do you look for maybe a more established, um, you know, whether it's improving your goaltending or whether it's improving your, your top six or something like that. What, like, what do you, what, what would you do? I guess, if you're playing armchair GM on this, I feel like, Oh God, I feel <laughs> like the skaters are pretty much set. And like, aside from little tweaks, there's nothing that needs to be like, this is such a perfect young core going on right now. And then yeah. I would look for a trade in goal but I would just see like if that's possible. I mean, I know there's about a million left in cap space right now and that's it. So you'd have to see who is available at that much or what else can they finesse kind of to see like how much contract they can shed and stuff like that. But um, I, I am so interested to see how the goalie tandem performs this year, because I keep kind of reiterating that I'd like to see a trade in net, but then it's like, they could easily prove me wrong too, but right. just the uncertainty of it. But I guess that's the case with any goaltender, right? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like these guys, and I mean, Peter Mrazek has done it for a couple of years now. It's just like, will, will he ever, mm-hmm. will he ever be able to like prove everyone? You know, uh, he's right. like, I feel like he's done a good job of it so far. And for his contract, he's, he's a great value. I think And James exactly. Reimer, James Reimer ended up being, you know, James Reimer got, tra- the fact that we got James Reimer from trading Scott Darling and not having to buy him out is like, unbelievable i'd never thought when the hurricanes were talking about adding goaltending um when McElhaney, it was clear was probably not going to resign 
And they were like, well, we're still looking at what we can do with Scott Darling. I'm just like, what do you mean? Who's You're going to buy him out. There's nothing. Well, who's going to take that off your hands? And then they announced that trade. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess Florida will. Um, and, you know, you talked about James Reimer being like a guy in a similar situation. He just was, I mean, he was, he was great last season. So uh, right. I, I like those guys. But at the same time, I feel like you're always looking to improve as long as it makes sense. It's just so difficult in this flat cap kind of environment and everything we've got going on, like, uncertainty owners don't want uncertainty they don't like messing probably too much with the salary hits during this time so yeah i i feel like you're probably right they probably run with with what they've got i i suppose i mean i don't know what else you do i've said from the start like the day that mirazik got his contract that that was the term was awesome because it's a perfect amount of time where you're seeing actually what he has here and then you can move on if you need to but at the same time it isn't past any of the core's window so yeah yeah, exactly. Um, I feel also like if I'm looking at this team's roster going forward, the holes, if you will, I mean, I feel like they, so I talked about this with Adam Gold last week, the the 2018-19 team versus the 2019-20 team. Like what what were the differences? Because I feel like if you watched it, you kind of noticed this is diff- like this is a different team for sure. I mean, the roster changed a fair amount and they've been adding pieces as they've kind of got the okay to spend money on pieces. I feel like the, personally i feel like the 1819 team was like you looked at it on paper and you're like okay i mean they're good but i mean nothing blows you out of the water i mean you also don't know how good andre sveshnikov is going to be you don't know if sebastian is going to continue to be a, a young star and all that sort of stuff um and you don't know what you have in, in net really so like i feel like a lot of people were like roster wise it maybe leaves a little to be desired but like a, a, a playoff team you you could definitely expect and then they figure out how to play Rod Brandmore's style of hockey and they just go and they just dominate the league and play that, you know, super difficult to play against four check grindy game that I mean is literally if there was a metaphor for Rod Brandmore's personality, it would be the way that team played in the second half of of the season before last. Um and then you fast forward to this past season, it seems like they you know, they bring up a guy like Natchez, who's more of a like finesse skill guy working on his two-way game. They bring in a guy like uh, Ryan Dezingle, who's definitely kind of a, like an up-and-down energy fast guy who likes to shoot the puck and score some goals. Um, same thing, though, probably needs to develop a little bit more of a two-way game. And if there were any holes in the game this past season, I think that it came on the defensive side of the puck in the forward group, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like a lot of people talk about, oh, the Hurricanes have the best defensive core. Like, we don't need to worry about defense. And my problems I see on the ice, you know, like I, when I played, I was always a defensive minded forward. So it's just like what I, what I look for always. And I'm like, our problem is defense. Like we score goals. It's, it's uh, like, we score a fine amount of goals. Our problem is defense, but it's not like, you know, oh, I need more out of Jacob Slavin. I need more. out Like, no, no, no. Those guys are doing fine. It's that, the neutral zone play and the two way, the making good decisions, the stuff that Rod wants you to play the right way, you know, that sort of stuff is putting the, us in bad when we, I mean, I, I'm using so many Rod Brandemar quotes, but when the team <laughs> takes a breath, like he mentions, you know, I mean, it's like I really do buy into that, that sort of mentality of, of taking care of your own side of the ice and the offense coming from that. Like, that's how I feel like the team should play. So, I yeah. Think, <laughs> I think personally, I think that the team, the roster is fine as long as some of those guys, you know, sink into those roles and, and really do that. And I think that in a second season, after, I mean, you look at Ryan Dezingle, like he's played for, he's played in too many different teams with too many gaps, There's too many, too much weirdness going on. You know, you go from a really bad Ottawa team where you had success, you traded to a, a John Tortorella run Columbus team where like he has this structure that like 
is no there's no leeway in mm-hmm. it so you end up as a healthy scratch and you're probably wondering what is going on and you sign to this team and like it seems like it's okay and then you have your struggles and it's like trying to find your place i feel like he really yeah. hunkers down the season but i feel like those are the changes that make this team better going forward like do you i just talked for like 16 minutes but do you, what do you what do you think well yeah but that's easy to say but the reason rod Brindamore absolutely should be in the hall of fame and it's a farce that he isn't is because he's the only person that has ever been able to play that way at the NHL level every single day, night in and night out. You know what I mean? Like that's so hard. You can't just do that for 82 games. That's just not sustainable. So then I think what happened was it's a young team going from doing all that every single night to trying to learn when exactly they need to pick their corners in that. Like you don't, and it's yes, you should have the effort and compete. And that's what the 2006 team did have. And but that's because yeah. they were all veterans. You know what I mean? Right. And I yeah. feel like that's something this team will learn as it keeps going and keeps building off character. And I they need like the urgency and pressure the last two seasons was absolutely insane. And now it's like, okay, they proved that they can do it and now they can start letting some of their skill shine, but it's also like the skill to grit ratio or whatever is tough to perfect. And there's, there were some slip ups, slip ups in that. And also the problem with defense is that the defense is so active and that it's so it's like, and I like Jake Gardner, for example, like he is such an eventful player. He makes so he does so many things that when you, see a lapse you see the lapse and it's it's like if he were to do nothing it'd probably be the cause of problems too but you just wouldn't be able to pinpoint them so i feel like that kind of comes with the territory of being like a high risk high reward team but at the same time it's something you need to grow into right and that's a rod thing too you know he wants these guys to to take risks and it be okay to make mistakes which is like so Mm -hmm. i mean i'm thinking about a coach telling me that and i'd be like that just feels nice because when you're you know in these high stakes games like it does feel like sometimes you're playing not to make a mistake and like this yeah you won't you you won't have success that way so yeah i feel like the you know those those guys are going to make mistakes and like it will be fine as long as they have the ability to make up for them you know if you're making all the mistakes in the world and you're not doing anything positive then like you're not really providing a great value but um you know i agree i think that the team the roster has the talent it needs to to compete. Um, I think that these guys will just keep growing. I think this young core is just gonna catch up to you know all if they're not already there. I mean, I say catch up like they're really good, but you look at Boston and and teams like that that have these super tight knit groups that are just elite in every sense of the word. And like the Hurricanes will get there. You just have you know what a twenty three yeah. year old, a twenty year old, and a Wow, Teravine Tara feels like he's 32 at this point, but I know. in his 20s too. So I, I, I'm pretty confident in that at least. Yeah, for sure. All right, Sarah, I've taken up definitely plenty of your time, plenty of my own. I can talk forever. So um, we'll have to do this again sometime. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course, anything before we go you want to plug? I mean, of course, <laughs> your, your stuff. But, okay. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for anybody, everybody who tuned in. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. See ya.